Dosa is a simple dish, a rice crepe filled with spiced potatoes alongside a sour, tangy, tamarind-based lentil dish. A fancy way of saying dosa and sambar. And if there is one institution that has mastered this dish, one that single-handedly unites South and North India, it is a certain restaurant chain called Sarvana Bhavan. With 33 locations in India and 72 across the world, the South Indian eatery has set the benchmark for India's culinary offering. First bite of a morally uh, suspect, suspect it food. It looks really good. Yeah, it smells really good. But hidden inside Sarvana Bhavan's dosa isn't just a delicious potato mix, but a mysterious ingredient that took years to unfurl. An ingredient that had captured the state of Tamil Nadu, jolting its capital city of Chennai to a halt. That secret ingredient was death. This is the story of the man who built a dosa empire that feeds millions across the world and his ultimate downfall. This is the story of the deadly dosa king P. Rajagopal. Hi everyone, welcome to Desi Crime, a show where we dive deep into some of the craziest cases from around South Asia. I'm your host Aryan. And I'm Ishwarya. And the case I have for you today is an epic saga of death, debauchery and dosas. Aryan, none of us are immune to Sarvana Bhavan. I've personally been to the restaurant many times, so has everyone I know. Absolutely love their food. And I agree, it's like one of the best representation of South Indian foods in India, yeah. across the world, everywhere. So to think that there is any sort of underbelly, firstly, I had no idea of the story mm. at all, still don't. But that thought is so eerie and creepy. Especially because they've built it in such a pure and pious way. Right, it's so warm and welcoming. And it's like that mixture of food, something as lovable yes. as food with something so tainted like crime and murder. It's like the tandoor murder, you know, like don't taint the tandoor. Such a beloved sort of caricature of our culture. I think something like that. when someone says Sarvana Bhavan's dosa is to die for, <laughs> literally. they mean it literally. And the newlywed couple of Santa Kumar and Jeeva Jyoti found this out the hard way. The newlywed couple just had two days. A two-day ultimatum for these lovebirds to separate and never see each other again. This directive was issued on 28th September 2001. And it came from none other than Pichai Rajagopal, the revered Dosa King, founder of the successful Sarvana Bhavan. Jeeva Jyoti and Santa Kumar weren't strangers to P. Rajagopal, or as they called him, Anachi, elder brother in Tamil. He wasn't their brother though, and they weren't the only ones who called him Anachi. The whole of Madras addressed him like that. Anachi, or elder brother, was a term of endearment and reverence bestowed upon P. Rajagopal for the cult status that he had established. When I say Sarvana Bhavan was an empire, that's not hyperbole. Anachi's kitchen fed the peasant and politician alike, a single restaurant chain that employed thousands of people serving hundreds of thousands daily is nothing short of an empire. 
One of these many employees was Jeeva Jyoti's father who worked as a manager at one of the Sarvana Bhavan outlets. But why in the world does P Rajagopal wants his employee's daughter to leave her husband? How could elder brother make such an unreasonable demand? That's because he wants her. Not very brotherly, you see. For months now, Anachi was fixated on Jeeva Jyoti's beauty and brains. He couldn't get her out of his mind, despite having two other wives and a 30-year-old age gap with her. The man who had everything wanted more, and he was accustomed to getting what he wanted. When Santa Kumar and Jeeva Jyoti entered their home on 28 September 2001, they weren't expecting the boss himself awaiting them in their own house at midnight. Quote, two days I give you, or else, he said, indicating dire consequences for Santa Kumar if he doesn't leave his wife. Two days and you will be my next wife, Jeeva Jyoti. He promised to make her a queen. But Jeeva Jyoti didn't want to become his queen, or any queen for that matter. She didn't care for the riches. She was madly in love with her husband and couldn't imagine leaving him. But she knew what was at stake. The couple knew if they wanted to evade Annachi's web of influence, they would have to escape Chennai. He was simply too influential to say no to. The clock was ticking. Two days turned to one, and one turned to the 1st of October. Instead of saying goodbye to each other though, the couple bid farewell to their home and hometown, got into their car and sped off, never to return. Or so they hoped because Annachi's minions had other plans. On a solitary road on the outskirts of Chennai, Jeeva Jyoti and Santa Kumar's car was cut off by an ambassador. Five men emerged, led by a Sarvana Bhavan employee and Annachi's main henchman named Daniel. They surrounded the couple, shoved them into their car and drove back to KK Nagar in Chennai. The place felt oddly familiar to the kidnapped couple. It was a Sarvana Bhavan warehouse in the same neighborhood where they lived. They were back to square one. When they got inside, the mastermind emerged. P. Rajagopal walked into the hall, stupefied that his employee's daughter had the gall to deny him his demand. He had his henchmen patrolling the couple and knew very well they were planning to escape. When Anachi entered, like a Tamil movie villain, he pulled up his dhoti and began remorselessly beating Santa Kumar. His wife wept, falling to Anachi's feet, begging him to stop. He obliged in so far as he stopped beating her husband only to order his men to take him to another room and continue beating him. Jeeva Jyoti could hear her husband in agonizing pain in the adjoining room. They were trapped in the castle of the Sarvana Empire, its main warehouse. A week went by under a de facto house arrest. Now even Jeeva Jyoti's family was embroiled in this. Her father, who worked at Sarvana Bhavan and owed Anachi everything, was also placed under house arrest at the warehouse. The pressure to marry him was mounting. On 12th October, Jeeva Jyoti and Santa Kumar finally acquiesced. They gave in to the demands and requested to be let go for a prayer ceremony in honour of their boss P. Rajagopal. Of course, this was a ploy. Two could tango, the couple thought. They weren't going to a temple, but not that of a deity anyway. One could call it the Temple of Justice, the police station. They filed a complaint for kidnapping against Rajagopal and his cronies at the city police commissioner's office. They walked out hopeful that their prayers will be answered, that the guardians of justice will do their due diligence. Meanwhile, they concocted their escape plan. The goal remained the same 
leave Chennai. Not only were there Sarvana Bhavans all over Tamil Nadu, 24 just in Chennai itself, Rajagopal's men were all over the capital as well. So the date was set. In the wee hours of 18th October 2001, the couple would pack whatever belongings they had and flee. At the crack of dawn on the 18th, they were off. All right, so this loving couple is in, as you put it, de facto house arrest yes. in a Sarvana Bhavan warehouse for more than two weeks, yep. almost. And then they asked to go for a prayer and he just sort of lets them go. Yeah, Why? because the prayer is for him, right? Uh, they've accepted that you can take my wife mm-hmm. um, and I, we, the two of us will be going to the temple to pray for you, Anachi. So he lets them go. He's not worried, dude. This, this man has the entirety of Chinna in his pocket. The police, hmm. the people. He's not worried that they're going to run away. Plus, I mean, I don't think it hurts to, you know, be worshipped. Yeah, no, that's kind of weird. It almost sounds, I don't know if this is how it played out, but it's a little bit conceited sure. that because it was a prayer for him, maybe that's why he let them go and maybe wouldn't have if it wasn't for him. Could have been. Early morning and they were off. A new life awaited them. They were nearing a Sai Baba temple when dreams of a free life were squashed again. Not one car this time, but three cars were fast approaching. Two ambassadors and one Tata Sumo, all with Tamil Nadu number plates. Attempts to outpace would have been futile. In a matter of seconds, the three cars surrounded the couple. The scene is exactly how I'm describing it, despite sounding like a Tollywood film plot. And it only gets filmier. From the Tata Sumo emerged five men. The leader, Daniel, Paturajan, Hassan, Kasi and Karmikam. Armed with knives, the men yet again shoved the couple in the car, but this time didn't return to Chennai. They drove to the town of Chengalpattu. At 8.30pm, a Mercedes-Benz pulled in. From it came Jeeva Jyoti's mother, clearly in shock and distress. She ran to her daughter, happy to see her alive, and informed her that waiting her in the Mercedes was Rajagopal himself. As she was being escorted to the Mercedes to meet Anachi, Daniel was forcing Santa Kumar into the Tata Sumo. Upon realizing what is happening, the couple began shouting. They didn't want to leave each other's side. Where was Daniel taking Santa Kumar? Would she ever see her husband again? What was P. Rajagopal going to do to her in his car? We'll get to all these questions, but first we need to understand something more primordial. How did we get here? Why does Rajagopal, a twice-married man with kids, want this young bride so badly? And before all of that, who is this Rajagopal guy that runs a dosa empire? Fifth August, 1947, 10 days before India becomes a sovereign state, a baby boy is born in the remote village of Puneadi in Tamil Nadu. A crying infantile P. Rajagopal is born into a lower caste family. The town this kid is born into is on the fringes of civilization, so remote that no bus stops there, let alone trains or roads. It's a red brush land and Rajagopal's parents can barely make ends meet. His father sells onions for a living and the family lives in a thatched hut. Opportunities are as rare as a passing bus. The new India Rajagopal was going to grow up in remained ancient. But as he grew, his aspirations became modern. As a young child, Rajagopal was touted by villagers as lucky. 
the kid that brought independence the locals lovingly remarked something about this young boy was different his eyes radiated ambition in a village where there was nothing to channel that ambition into yet in his biography titled i set my heart on victory rajagopal recounts being a stoic kid serious about things that the average child his age would take for granted he rarely played with kids his age and spent an inordinate time helping his family and taking care of his little sister but beyond family there was only so much he could do and he knew he definitely didn't want to sell onions like his father he knew his ambitions surpassed the vegetable vendors when he turned 12 his ardent desire for something greater bubbled out of him he just couldn't contain it as much as he loved his parents the village of punyadi was too small and too far for him so this kid who wasn't even a teenager stole some money from his dad's wallet packed his clothes and snuck out onto a passing train swearing to only return once he had made it in life next stop waiting tables the train landed rajagopal in a small resort town outside madras there he started waiting tables the stereotypical kid working a tea stall that was rajagopal at the tender age of 12 the lady who ran the stall taught rajagopal how to make great tea The secret ingredient she said was love. The attention with which she made tea for her patrons had them coming back again and again. And the young kid absorbed this lessons from his mentor. People come back for your service if only your service is worth coming back to. Years later, he'd set up a restaurant where folks found themselves dining daily as if addicted to the quality of his food. But after a while in this resort town, the teenager felt he had outgrown it. It was time for the big leagues. the city it was time for madras another train another station and finally rajagopal was in the city of his dreams chennai was taking form and he arrived at its precipice another menial job awaited him though as a helper at a vessel shop one that sold utensils and other kitchenware but no matter how menial or meager a job may be rajagopal had a knack for taking to it like a moth to cotton He mastered the minutia and his employer saw the potential in this young lad. Rajagopal treated his boss like a mentor and again absorbed everything there was to learn about running a business. And at the age of 21, he felt it was time for him to run his own business. He opened a grocery store named Murugan Grocery Store after Lord Murugan, a deity he fiercely worshipped. In North India you'd recognize this god as Lord Kartikeya, Ganesh's brother. And as his business unfolded, so did the need to settle down. And settling in India can only mean one thing: getting married. His family introduced him to a young lady named Vani. Rajagopal said yes, and modest celebrations ensued. Turns out Vani was just as hardworking as her husband. The two formed a team to reckon with. While his dad used to sell onions, Rajagopal used to sell all kinds of veggies at his own grocery store. The difference was his dad made a profit something that Rajagopal did not for months this began taking a toll Rajagopal was in debt to Vani's brother who didn't give him an easy time of it Rajagopal had toiled for years done everything right fairly and legally and he had also named his store after Lord Murugan so he felt cheated when results didn't go his way In his biography he recounts this pivotal meeting with his astrologer one that changed not only Rajagopal's life but the future of South Indian cuisine. Quote, 
I see a man who has the potential to rule the world, but he is bound, the astrologer prophesied. Quote, but to be unbound, you will have to venture into a line of work that involves fire. End quote. And with that prophecy, a spark was ablaze. Rajagopal began ruminating on this prophecy, a profession that involves fire. What could that be? Certainly not a grocery store owner. As he pondered on his dilemma, he overheard his customer at the grocery store complain about the lack of decent restaurants in KK Nagar. The salesman protested that it's unfair that he needs to travel an hour just to get a basic tiffin meal. And there it was. Hiding in a conspicuous remark was the script of Madras's biggest food chain. The demand for accessible quality food was apparent. The supply was unserved. Rajagopal took it upon himself to fill this void, especially when he recognized the fundamental element of cooking. Fire. The astrologer's words resounded, as if the universe couldn't implore him further. On his way back home that very day, he came across Karmachi Bhavan restaurant in his neighborhood, which was for sale. And so, in Kekinagar, in Chennai, in 1981, India's very first Sarvana Bhavan was born, and Rajagopal never looked back. From 6am to 11pm, the couple worked together relentlessly. Vani handled the kitchen's back end, while Rajagopal managed the restaurant as a whole. And this was his moment to shine. You see, Rajagopal wasn't a world-class cook. His skills were leadership, management and hospitality. He wasn't in the kitchen preparing dosa batter. Instead, he was in the office getting the best chefs for the kitchen, ensuring a level of hygiene unknown to restauranteering in South India and an attention to detail that set the benchmark nothing short of Michelin standards. Sarvana Bhavan, in short, served the best food at the cheapest price. The customer was treated like a god. Hotel Saravana Bhavan. Irvatora Kilegaluda, Chennai, Kanjiburam, Putu Delhi, Matrum Ulagamingo. Ipuradu, Spencer Plaza Villum. Standards were everything to Rajagopal. Usually, restaurants make up for high costs of production by low costs of labour. To procure the highest quality ingredients and not cutting back on portion sizes, Rajagopal's cost of production was very high. In fact, for the first four months, the company lost 10,000 rupees every single month. His first manager suggested to Rajagopal that he underpay his employees in order to churn a profit. The manager argued that most of his employees are runaway folks from poor families. They'll make do with whatever they are paid. This comment teleported Rajagopal back to his childhood, back to when he caught a train and ran away from his home. When he snapped back into the present, he fired his manager for daring to suggest mistreating their employees and Rajagopal doubled down on taking care of them. It's always hard, Aryan, to come across people who have incredibly admirable qualities, who you also, in this case, from the beginning, know that will commit really, really heinous and despicable acts. It's really hard. And the interesting thing is most people are like that. Most people will have a set of qualities that you can admire too. Um yet chinks in their armor that are hard to I look think, by. I think what's different with P. Rajagopal mm-hmm. is that it wasn't like, you know, like people can give, you know, Nazis give the example of, look, oh, Hitler loved animals, right? Yeah. It wasn't like he had the eventual things that will happen, happen simultaneously with his good deeds. Hmm. 
the majority of his life were good deeds that eventually led to a catastrophic downfall that we'll get to so it wasn't for the longest time he was a justifiably saintly figure so you're saying it just happened suddenly over time well you got to listen to the episode to find know. out that's so interesting okay that was the turning point for sarvana bhavan despite reporting losses word spread staff from other restaurants scrambled to work at sarvana bhavan they had all heard of how employees of this new restaurant were well treated and well compensated likewise word spread among diners the best tiffins in all of madras people proclaimed and so the tides turned thousands began gathering outside sarvana bhavan to get a table police had to be deployed to manage the crowds expansion was the only solution so more sarvana bhavans propped up around madras the standards remained par excellence and the treatment of employees only improved if rajagopal got richer he ensured his workers did too He was probably India's first employer to offer every employee a litany of benefits otherwise unheard of. Sarvana Bhavan employees, no matter rank or caste, got healthcare, education for children, vacation, sick days, and the list kept growing. It grew so much that Sarvana Bhavans across Tamil Nadu became residencies for employees to stay at. His employees worshipped him. He took care of them. He treated them fairly. He was their elder brother. and like that p rajagopal became annachi the head of the sarvana bhavan family and this family had a cultish devotion to its patriarch annachi demanded loyalty and his staff gave him that soon all over tamil nadu sarvana bhavan employees began treating annachi like a father figure willing to do anything for the man willing to kill or die for him the economic side of the business kept growing Annachi's exacting attitude towards each new Sarvana Bhavan ensured the quality remains constant across India. He began catering to major political gatherings, expat visits, millionaire meetings, and money came in droves. Parallelly, his army of followers grew as well, in number and strength. But everything comes at a cost. The cost for all this success for Annachi was a deterioration in his marriage to Vani. The woman that helped him build this empire was now sidelined. He altogether stopped talking to her as his mind drifted to work, other things and other people. Vani was heartbroken. In later interviews she recounts how painful that experience was for her till date. She never truly recovered from that ungratefulness and heartbreak. So are you implying that at this point he had already started having affairs with other women or at least interacting with other women in that way no i when he lost his interest and stopped talking to her it was that more was because of, that was the heartbreak yeah. and i mean soon we'll find out the womanizer that he went on to become hmm. but initially it was just this mad obsession with his work and his employees that he had hmm. that just led to a lack of interest in his marriage it seems like the whole power corrupts but infinite power corrupts infinitely mm. sort of adage mm. where the more wealthier and the more influential he got the more it almost got to his head again this is when we'll get to why he did what he did mm-hmm. i want you to revisit this point okay. and yeah. tell me whether you think it was a function of power sure. or a function of eccentricity okay but rajagopal wasn't the only one paying a cost for all the success So were his employees. You see, it's all great to be taken care of from A to Z by your employer, 
The problem when one person is in charge of every facet of your life, you relinquish all control to them. A Sarvana Bhavan employee's marriage, education, vacations, healthcare, rent, and you name it, was covered by Annachi. Inevitably, you become subservient to Annachi, compelled to comply with any demand. And not soon after, demands began trickling. As his first marriage was in shambles, Rajagopal's eyes drifted to another woman, an employee named Kritika. Unfortunately though, Kritika was married to another one of Annachi's employees. But that did not stop the boss. Initially, he peppered Kritika with expensive gifts. One gift after another made his desires evident. But the couple felt helpless. Their sustenance and livelihood completely dependent on one man. How could they say no? Eventually, Rajagopal's men chased Kritika's husband out of Chennai. Today, he works at a small eatery on the outskirts of Tamil Nadu. As for Kritika, in 1994, against her will, she became P. Rajagopal's lawfully wedded wife. Against her will, like, I understand all societies are corrupt to a certain degree. Mm. But I don't like the idea of considering us such a helpless society where there are these women getting unwillingly married to okay. this one single man with no support, no help whatsoever. What? When the police uh, called her to court in later investigations mm-hmm. to press whether she was... Uh, forced into marriage mm-hmm. in court she said no it, I did it completely willingly right. and well, in fact yeah. in fact in the court Raja Gopal stated outright it was me who forced her I ran, I made her husband run out I was the one who harassed her this is wild yeah the, this man was known for honesty and piety and he really was he was an honest man up until this point he hasn't befuddled, befuddled any facts he hasn't he hasn't no, he's cheated just a in any way yeah in this particular instance, yes, this is the first time you see that side of P. Rajagopal. Right. And it only gets worse from here. But still, there is this weird side to him, which is pure and pious and Do honest. you think it's all done on purpose? From no. From a control point? No, I don't think so. You think he just stumbled on the control angle when he did it long enough? I, th- I mean, I he has a lot of control. I don't think that's what he was... I don't think he's getting off to it, if you mm. know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. But he has it, right? So it's a function of having it more so than wanting it. Quote, I see a man who has the potential to rule the world, but he is bound. End quote. The prophecy was coming true. What Anachi touched turned to gold, and whatever he touched became his. From out of the city to out of the state, Sarvana Bhavan had become a national phenomenon. Outlets propped up around Delhi and other major metropolitan cities, and the taste remained the same finest ingredients at competitive rates. Expansion also meant an expanding clientele. Celebrities, businessmen and politicians sought Annachi's catering whenever possible. This opened gates for him into high society. He was truly becoming an omnipotent leader. Journalist Rolo Rome got the chance to interview Rajagopal for the New York Times. The following excerpt from his article captures that precision demanded by Anachi from his employees. Rolo witnessed a conversation between Rajagopal and a couple of his employees who were sent to the office for disciplinary action. Quote, I heard you got drunk and abused everyone and used foul words, Rajagopal said. And you should shave off your moustache. These are not good habits. End quote. I'm sorry, Anachi. Forgive me. How can I? Rajagopal asked. There's an age to forgive. At your age, it doesn't make sense. 
the watchman continued to stare at the floor are you listening rajagopal asked but he decided to have mercy in this instance the man would keep his job as long as he laid off the booze he whispered his thanks and left without ever looking up rajagopal sat back in his chair said quote what to do everyone makes mistakes end quote everyone makes mistakes hmm up until now annachi hadn't made one he hadn't lifted one finger incorrectly he was a pure and pious leader but he was about to make his first mistake which would turn out to be his last a mistake that would cost him everything rajagopal met jeeva jyoti first when she was a young girl her father was a manager at sarvana bhavan and introduced his daughter to his old boss for blessings little did they know that the encounter would curse their family forever Jeeva Jyoti from the get go had a fiery and rebellious personality. She was one of those freedom loving types, a girl that wanted to do whatever she wanted whenever she wanted on her terms. Ever since she was young, her dream was to set up a travel agency run by her. The family lived in one of the Sarvana Bhavan residences in KK Nagar. Jeeva Jyoti had a brother who recently hired a new tutor, an American college mathematics graduate named Prince Santakumar. She was 19 when she first met him and it was love at first sight. Coming to KK Nagar at Sarvana Bhavan compound to teach math was just an excuse for Santa Kumar to meet Jeeva Jyoti. A young love was blossoming. Santa Kumar began taking far more tuitions than needed, frequenting the household. When Rajagopal got wind of this development, he expressed disapproval. He told her parents that a man visiting the Sarvana Bhavan compound regularly lends the wrong impression. Santa Kumar should be disallowed from teaching their son. He disguised his jealousy as elderly protectiveness. He also conditioned their continued residence on this demand. And that's the problem with controlling every aspect of a man's life. One becomes completely subservient. The parents had no choice but to stop the tuition classes. Just like that, Raja Gopal won again. Too easy, he thought. Winning is just too easy. But he didn't know the character of Jeeva Jyoti, a stubborn, single-minded woman who wouldn't be easily dissuaded. To everyone's surprise, Santa Kumar and Jeeva Jyoti eloped and got married. Their families were forced to accept their union. But Raja Gopal couldn't comprehend this disloyalty. To make matters worse, Raja Gopal's prophetic astrologer made another prophecy that would change the course of everyone's life. Anachi had become extremely superstitious by this point. The first prophecy about starting a business with fire buried itself deep into his psyche. He believed God Murugan was responsible for all his success and so he blindly heeded to his astrologer. The prediction was as follows: If you make Jeeva Jyoti your third wife, Rajagopal you will become the richest man in India all you have to do is marry that woman end quote how very simple if lust wasn't enough this final religiously sanctified push was sufficient for anachi to resolve on getting jeeva jyoti she will be mine at all costs he vowed he was probably unaware of the costs and the world was unprepared for his willingness to pay them After all, having her would make him the richest man in India, wouldn't it? 
Just like Rajagopal had done with his second wife Krithika, he began pampering Jeeva Jyoti. He put the same playbook of wooing via money to test. But this young couple was steadfast. They were determined to stay as one in the face of one of the most powerful men in the city, which just goes to show the love they had for each other. Jeeva Jyoti was dead set on building her own travel agency, but was lacking the funds to do so. Unfortunately, her mother made the naive decision to ask Annachi for help, and the man was willing to dole out cash. But cash comes at a cost, and the cost for Annachi's loan was incessant communication with him. He leveraged her debt to call her up at odd hours demanding to know where she is and what she's doing. He would station his henchmen outside her house for surveillance and he began spreading rumors about Santa Kumar having HIV to tarnish his image. Yet nothing seemed to separate the couple and Rajagopal began to lose his cool. Getting what he wanted was second nature now, so to not get his object of desire frustrated him endlessly. And so, in a moment of desperation and greed, on the night of 28 September 2001, he strolled into the couple's apartment with his ultimatum, quote, two days I give you or else, end quote. And on 18th October, when the couple was finally separated, they found out what the or else meant. We are back to the moment where Daniel forces Santa Kumar into the Tata Sumo and drives off while his wife is forced into a Mercedes-Benz to meet Anachi. He dangles the police report they had secretly filed in front of their faces and tears it, as if to remind them who he is. Both the cars head in opposite directions. Anachi's car with Jeeva Jyoti is heading to a temple to cleanse her. The superstitious Dosa king believed that his to-be wife was under a black magic spell, which is why she fell for Santa Kumar. He followed a ritual wherein he placed a medicine on her body which claimed to make the person fall in love. The poor lady felt like a mere witness to her life now, incapable of doing anything. Meanwhile, her husband was heading for the gallows. The instructions to Daniel were simple. Kill Santa Kumar. The young math graduate cried and begged for Daniel's mercy, and in a moment of kindness in this otherwise tragic story, the main henchman actually caved. He felt bad for Santa Kumar. He confided in him that Rajagopal had paid him rupees 5 lakh to kill him but that he felt bad for the newlywed husband. A big plot twist ensued. Daniel went against his master's command and defied Annachi. He let Santa Kumar free on the condition that Santa Kumar would immediately leave for Mumbai and stay low profile for a couple of weeks. I love that so much. Go Daniel, go Santa Kumar like it just requires one person. One person. to stick to your morals yeah. and to not cave into control it just requires one person and yeah it's hard but go daniel if you were in uh, santa kumar's position since mm-hmm. you don't know what's about to happen yeah what would you have done i'm just out of curiosity you have a chance right you've been given you've, you've been given chance. a life yeah. right and even though this is a henchman a right hand man you can see the humanity in that act mm-hmm. and so what would you do if you were given a life would you go to mumbai what would you do I don't know. I genuinely don't know because again to go to Mumbai and run away like that would feel like again Daniel stood up for his morals mm, and gave you point. a lifeline so that you can stand up for yeah. yours almost and you're running away from that mm. leaving your partner with the man she doesn't want to be with yeah. the woman you married. But obviously it's not that easy to go in and fight him again and go into the situation. And to have again. any shot at 
at actually make, surviving kind it of this time yeah, yeah yeah so i don't know after santakumar reached mumbai daniel told him that he would call him to assess their next moves santakumar barely escaped his assassination daniel dropped his inmate and returned to chennai it was the morning of 21st october two days since santakumar was dead in everyone's eyes only daniel knew the truth Anachi summoned his right-hand man to his office to know exactly how it had gone down. Daniel was caught off guard. He narrated a false story of how he had taken Santhakumar to the railway tracks, stripped him naked, thrown him in front of a high-speed train and burnt his clothes. He Isn't that a little too dramatic for like a false tale? Uh, well, uh, he was He should have kept it simple like yeah. shot him with a gun threw him in the water like no no, no, no. stripped him naked in front of a bus no train yeah. full of people threw him on the tracks where his body should have been or the driver should have seen him it's too Chor much ki daadi mein tinka Tin but more like murderer's beard has a mole yeah yeah <laughs> daniel daniel daniel, daniel playing poker anytime <laughs> soon he promised anachi that prince santakumar was dead Anachi told him how much he trusts him and then made a gesture to his staff to bring them in. Bring whom? Daniel wondered. And there right in front of him was Santa Kumar and Jeeva Jyoti. Despite being given a life, Santa Kumar couldn't stay away from his wife. The lovebirds were inseparable. One can only imagine how humiliated and disrespected Daniel felt. He had just been caught red-handed by his boss who was known for honesty and fairness in return for loyalty. Daniel had blatantly lied to him. As if in a frenzy, he pounced on Santakumar, beating him black and blue. Daniel's fury, fueled by shame and deceit, was uncontainable. Whatever mercy he had vaporized only to be replaced with disdain. In that moment it was obvious Santa Kumar's fate was sealed he had returned to beg Annachi for his mercy both husband and wife pleaded their cases to the boss who had no sympathy Jeeva Jyoti was to become his wife and that was that their cries fell on deaf ears I can't believe this Do you almost feel bad for Daniel even this. though he is like a violent criminal. I do feel bad for Daniel. Yeah. Which is so weird. The man weird. did the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And then they returned yeah. to like ask for mercy as yeah. opposed to hatching a more sly plan. Yeah. Straight away came to him and said, "Oh my god." Yeah, yeah. They're going to die. They're going to die. Oh my god. I mean, you can imagine how embarrassed Daniel would have been like Annachi was literally calling his bluff by saying yeah, oh so tell me nudging, tell me how yeah. did you murder them yeah oh my god yeah and the high speed train doesn't help his case i don't think that would have cut it no yeah like ashwara said the plan to return to chennai and ask for forgiveness massively backfired the one chance santakumar had to escape was now absolutely lost once again the husband was forced into the tata sumo this time though It was Raja Gopal who grabbed him by his collar, dragged him to the car, tossed him inside and uttered the penultimate command. Quote, "Finish him off." The car sped off as a helpless Jeeva Jyoti watched her husband leave, bidding him adieu for one 
final time. Unbeknownst to her, that's the last time she would ever see her husband in his blue checkered shirt and sandal-colored trousers. 500 kilometers from Chennai is a British era hill station of Kodaikanal. This town is an oasis for people from around India to come detach from technology and unwind. It was a rainy morning on 31st October 2001. In Kodai when it rains it pours and the lush green forests get even greener and dense. It's beautiful if you're in a nice little resort but at the moment Murugesan and Raman are not basking in the beauty. They have a job to do. These two are guards in the Tamil Nadu government's forest department and their job is to patrol the Tiger Shola area. This downward slope of Western Ghat got its name because years ago locals reported to have seen a tiger there. Hence Tiger Shola. No tiger has since been spotted, but the men were tasked to do their daily patrols to monitor the area and report back if any animal was spotted. Trekking this route at 2100 meters above sea level was their daily routine. No matter how picturesque the scenery, anything can get boring. But today, 31st October, was far from boring because awaiting them in the shrubbery of the forest was something more terrifying than a tiger, a dead body. 4 miles into their patrol, Raman spotted something weird protruding from the bushes below. As they descended into the unpaved forest, the picture became clear. It was clearly a human body, one that had been dead for a while. The face was swollen, rigor mortis had clearly set in. Upon closer inspection, they realized this wasn't the body of a local because of the clothes, a blue checkered shirt and sandal-colored trousers. Locals of Perumal Malai, the area they were in, did not dress like that. The two forest officers didn't know they'd be embroiled in Tamil Nadu's biggest investigations, yet they carried out their duties with utmost diligence. At 6:45 the guards returned to the scene of crime with sub-inspector Emmanuel Rajkumar and head constable Sebastian from the Kodai police station. Along with them were two quotes scavengers, lower caste men whose job it was to move the corps and act deemed too dirty by the upper castes. A day later on 1st November Dr. Sivakumar from the Government Hospital of Kodai Kanal performed the postmortem. His conclusion was loud and clear. Quote time of death approximately 3 to 5 days prior to autopsy cause of death death due to asphyxia on account of throttling end quote the medical examiner ruled it a homicide plain murder but whose body was this no missing persons reports were filed in kodai and without internet communication anything happening in another district would take a while before falling in the purview of the officers Officers from the small town clicked pictures, exhumed the body and buried it. They were mindful of marking the burial spot in the case the corpse had to be identified later on. Meanwhile in Chennai, Jeeva Jyoti was awaiting a call from her husband. Like the couple of times before she was hoping he was let go again and that he'd be calling her any moment now. While she waited, Rajagopal took her for another religious ceremony which she helplessly attended. However, there was something different about this ritual. It wasn't one of those wack superstitious black magic rituals. It felt a little different. And soon she found out why. It was the ritual Hindus do to ward away negative energies from a widow. And then it clicked. She was the widow. When this realization dawned, she feared what it meant. 
where was her husband Santa Kumar? And so she escaped again and again went to the police station to file a missing persons report. The Madras police made contact with the Kodai police and the dots were connected. The missing persons investigation turned into a murder investigation in no time. And critical to almost any homicide is the body of the victim. If the body is lost or unidentifiable, the prosecution's case becomes really weak. But thanks to the diligence of the Kodai police, Jeeva Jyoti and her mother identified Santa Kumar's clothes. I don't want to sound really stupid or like a naive optimist. But is there even the slightest possibility that this is actually Raja Gopal's body? And as you're about... No, it isn't. I'm just imagining like a really sly math nerd, Santa Kumar. Nah. Um, when she, uh, the body was unearthed, she wanted to see his waist because Santa Kumar had this unique scar that he could be identified with. And probably like you, uh, Jeeva Jyoti was, I guess, hoping, hoping yeah. that scar wasn't there. Um, but it was. Um and Santa Kumar was uh, murdered in cold blood. And there it was. The dead man was Prince Santa Kumar. The 39-page complaint was compiled with 48 witness testimonies, forensic evidence, material and circumstantial evidence, and the prosecution had an airtight case against the Dosa King. The king was on trial, and so he poured all his resources into getting the best legal counsel. While Annachi was pinned point-blank for the murder along with Daniel, his lawyers were able to delay the punishment for years. The founder of Sarvana Bhavan was found guilty by all the courts and yet he barely spent any jail time on the grounds of bail or poor health. And whenever he was in jail, he was treated by the jail staff like he was in his Sarvana Bhavan office. He got home-cooked meals, access to recreation and he still managed to conduct his business empire remotely from a prison. Santa Kumar was murdered in cold blood in 2001. Almost two decades later, Rajagopal's case finally reached the Supreme Court of India. On 29th March 2019, Rajagopal appeared at the Supreme Court in Delhi in the most bizarre fashion, in a hospital bed with an oxygen mask around his face. He was 71 now. He had lived a full life, one that he had snatched away from Jeeva Jyoti's husband. But that day, finally, India's highest court upheld the murder conviction, refused bail on grounds of health and sentenced him to life in prison for whatever life remained. He was given until the 7th of July to surrender. He surrendered on 9th July, but as soon as he surrendered, he fell unconscious. He was immediately hospitalised and to everyone's surprise, this wasn't a farce or a theatrical shenanigan. His health was truly in decline. And without serving his sentence, the man that changed India's restauranteering business died in a hospital bed on 18th July 2019 in the city that was his first true love, Chennai. So the next time you eat a dosa at a Sarvana Bhavan restaurant, don't forget the blood, sweat and tears that went into making it. If you like what we do here at AC Studios and absolutely love what we're wearing today, this is merch you can go buy all for yourself. You can buy this Desi Crime merch in our YouTube store on the link down below at Karak Merch. Keep the engines at Desi Studios rolling so we can pay our videographer right behind the camera to make these amazing episodes just for you.